You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. All right, so we're in our fifth week, week number five, uh, walking through the series in the book of James. And most of y'all probably know this, but if you don't, uh, there is actually an online study that you can use to kind of keep up with our text and what we're sharing on Sunday mornings. And you just go to kingscross.org and click on adult discipleship. And if you hadn't started, that's okay. Tomorrow's a great time to start. Uh, this, is, this has been an incredibly uh, crazy week for me. Uh, last Tuesday afternoon, I was away from the house, away from the church, and uh, I had my phone on silent, I think, or maybe I was on a phone call, and I looked down at my phone when I got finished and realized that I just had all these incoming texts coming from my family. I had missed calls, and they were calling to tell me on Tuesday afternoon, Daddy, Daddy, come home quick. The house has flooded. And so uh, I didn't quite go home then because immediately I just started sitting in my car just making phone calls, making phone calls to everybody I needed to make phone calls to to get them over at the house to start taking care of stuff. And so within a few hours, um, our brand new floors, which we had just bought throughout the whole house, uh, were basically destroyed. They were being ripped out in our house, and uh, we had the uh, Roto-Rooter guy come over, and he was unclogging the main line and got out the blockage. And then about two days later, so that was on Tuesday, two days later, our first floor is like concrete. And uh, outside the house, when the water had dried up, I noticed that the front porch was still wet. And I was noticing that there was actually moving water out of my front porch. And so I called the uh, Mount Pleasant Water Works and I asked them what was going on. And they said, yeah, you're, you're losing about 40 gallons an hour uh, just on top of what you know you normally use and so how did they know that and they eventually sent me a report to where I could look at how many gallons of water I was losing by the hour that actually started at 7 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon so how do they know that well you know how they know that because you got a water meter outside your house right you got a water meter that can actually track whenever you want to know how much water you're using on an hourly basis. And so I don't think there is such thing as a word-o-meter. Uh, there's a water-meter. I don't think there's such thing as a word-o-meter. I can't say it. Uh, but I think it would be cool, pretty cool if there was. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, maybe you've never thought about this before, and maybe the only reason I'm thinking about this now is because I've been in James chapter 3 where we're talking about the tongue and we're talking about uh, why did God make mouths and give one to you. But I'm thinking, man, it's kind of cool to just think, how many words do I share during the day? I mean, how many words do I speak during the day? And it'd be really cool to be able to evaluate my days based on whether or not I have a good day or whether or not I have a bad day based on the amount of words that I say during the day, right? We looked at James 1 a few weeks ago, and it said, be quick to hear but slow to speak. I wonder if my days probably go better when I speak less versus they go worse when I speak more. So now today, so a few weeks ago, I spoke on James chapter 1 uh, about the tongue and about being careful what we say and being slow to speak. And then again, today, we're looking at it even more in depth about the words we speak and the tongue and how powerful it is. And you would think that this just must be providential. You would think that the reason why I have been assigned both texts is because apparently I am someone that has mastered the tongue. 
and that it is really good news for you that you have shown up today, and maybe you were here a few weeks ago, to hear how, like me, you too can master the tongue. Maybe you would think that. I don't know why you're laughing, but maybe you would think that. Uh, well, this is why you're laughing, because you know that's not true. If you know me well enough, and as much as I would like to think that I'm okay with the tongue, I'm not. It was just two days ago, much to my embarrassment, I found myself, I even hesitate. There were several times I didn't even want to write this down to share with you, but I'll just share with you. It's embarrassing. Um, I found myself standing on a front porch talking to a friend where I made a not-so-flattering comment about someone. So I'm standing on the front porch talking to this friend, and I make this not-so-flattering comment about someone. And I soon found out very shortly that the daughter of the person I made the comment about was listening on the Ring doorbell camera. Yeah, you know about those. She was listening to me talk about her mother while I was standing on the front porch. And so that is just, and there's more details to the story, and you can come up to ask me about after the service, but it was a very embarrassing moment. And so I think that it is more accurate to say that these are my assigned texts because, as Brian Magner told me yesterday, the Lord may be trying to tell you something. So this sermon, really, welcome to the sermon that I'm preaching to myself, and I'm glad you're here to tag along. Uh, so my uh, knowledge, though, that there's no such thing as a word of meter, but there are reports. So if you're interested in probably how many words you do speak during the course of the day, uh, there's plenty of people that's done reports and written articles, and it's kind of all over the place. Uh, one report says that men actually speak 2,500 words a day. 2,500 words a day, which ironically is uh, just short of the amount of words that are in this sermon text that I'm preaching this morning. So apparently you might think, man, we're going to be here all day. Uh, no, I can, I can probably knock that out in about 20-something minutes, but... Uh, Men speak 2,500 words a day, and ladies, do you want to know how many words a day you speak? Uh, this particular fort says 15,000. <laughs> I don't make this stuff up. I just read it and share with you. Uh, in reality, though, there's other reports. If you're a lady, you can go to other reports, and you can kind of get the information that you want to hear. And in reality, it's probably closer to 16,000 words a day for either gender either gender. So we speak a lot of words during the day, possibly 16,000 words a day. But what if, and that is interesting stuff to know, uh, but what if you were able to measure the percentage uh, of your words that fit into various categories? All right, so it's one thing to measure the amount of words, but what if you were able to measure the type of words that you say uh, by percentage uh, and to be able to say how much uh, of these type of words do I speak during the course of the day. Like what percentage of the words you spoke yesterday or even this morning lifted others up? Think about that. Just try to do a quick you know, evaluation of yesterday or even since this morning. What are the percentage of words that you have spoken that have lifted another person up? 
Or what percentage of the words that you have spoken yesterday or this morning that have cut others down? What if you were to measure what percentage of your words made others smile or even laugh? Uh, Or what percentage of your words, maybe yesterday or even this morning, that made others sad or even angry? Or what percentage of your words that you've spoken recently that were true? Or what percentage were lies? Or what percentage of your words even yesterday pointed people to God? Or what percentage turned people away from God? We get the feeling, and we're about to look at the text right now in James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, that most, that most words that most people say are used for no good. Most of the words that most people say, I believe James chapter 3 is saying, are actually used for no good. So let's look at the text. James 3, 1 through 12. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to keep it open. If you don't, uh, the text should be up on the screen. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Which, by the way, uh, I read recently that, that, a, uh, that a reason that some may believe, uh, and you maybe have heard this said before, it's not true, but heard said before is the tongue is like the strongest muscle in the body. It's actually not one muscle. I just recently learned it's comprised of about eight muscles, but people say, ah, oh, this tongue's the strongest muscle in the body. Um, because this particular article said the reason people may believe that is because the tongue actually never gets tired. And I thought about that. I was like, wow, I never thought about that. I mean, my body gets tired, but I don't think my tongue has ever gotten tired. Well, here in the text it says, It is restless, and particularly it's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I remember a long time ago, and I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find it, but I remember either hearing or reading John Piper, uh, pastor in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, comment on the reason God made the phone and the airplane. 
know if you ever thought about that, that, uh, you know, God was the one that made the phone and the airplane, and he had a reason. You may have thought that Alexander Graham Bale invented the phone, or you may have thought that the Wright brothers invented the airplane, but just like in all things, God actually made the phone, and he actually made the airplane. Yes, he used people to do it, but God was the one, ultimately, that did it. Did it. So the question is, why? Why did God make the phone, and why did he make the airplane? And what was God's ultimate agenda for inventing the phone? And what was his main reasoning behind inventing the airplane? And Piper says that God invented the phone so you could pick it up and tell your friend about Jesus. And that he invented the airplane so that you can buy a ticket and get on the plane and travel to another country and tell someone about Jesus. And, you know, that may seem a little over the top. But when you think about life and eternity from God's perspective, I don't think those ideas are too far off. And what was God's intention for creating these things? So this morning, we are asking the question, why did God make mouse, and why did he give one to you? Why did he give one to me? So our biblical truth this morning, if you've got a bulletin, you can uh, fill in the blanks. If you don't have a bulletin, you can actually access it online at kingscross.org. God made the tongue to be a powerful tool for good and not evil. God made the tongue to be a powerful tool for good and not evil. So if you like taking notes, but you also like relaxing, I'll go ahead and give you the rest of the blanks for the rest of the sermon. So the reason you have a tongue is to, number one, teach others about God. Number two, lead you in the right direction. Number three, to give praise to God. And the last reason, I think, from this text and the reason that you have a tongue is to build others up. So let's dive in. We're going to look at each one of these. The first one is, as we see in verses 1 through 2, is that you have been given a tongue in order to teach, to teach others about God. So you speak on an average of 16,000 words a day, but how many of your words are teaching others about God, either through sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ or helping other Christians grow. Now, if you've been studying James or if you have your Bibles open right now to verse 1, you may be thinking right now, hey, wait a minute, Josh. You told us a few weeks ago when we started this series that we need to be studying the book of James so that we can fact check you guys on Sunday morning. Uh, James actually, you may be thinking, lets us off the hook. Uh, on this one, because he writes, not many of you should become teachers. So, so why are you saying that the reason I have a tongue is to teach others about God? Well, that is true. James says in verse 1 that not many of you should become teachers. But verse 2 reads, for we all stumble in many ways. So what does it mean to stumble? Let's first talk about that for a minute. In what ways do people stumble? I think there's different ways we stumble in our Christian journey and our pursuit of Christ or lack thereof and some things that cause us to stumble. And I think particularly about particular teachers, maybe that you've seen in the news and we've dealt with this some in the Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist Convention that has been a huge embarrassment over this, but ways in which, it call, ways which people stumble and particularly sometimes teachers is sexual temptation. It's taken a lot of teachers out. Uh, but teachers also stumble with addictions. We've seen that as well, and 
financial gain and a desire for fame. And so those are the ways or a few of the ways in which people and particularly teachers may stumble. But the main reason James is pounding here is that we stumble with our tongue. And I think about what ways do we stumble with our tongue? And I think anger and lying and gossip and slander and cursing, which is addressed in this passage, particularly cursing other people and careless words, which we'll talk about in a minute. These sins of the mouth also cause potential teachers to not have the authority to teach. It takes them out of the game. It sidelines them. So I believe the reason James is saying that not many should become teachers is because two reasons. One is people don't know their Bibles and their lives don't match up. You got people teaching the Bible that just aren't reading the Bible, which sounds incredibly ridiculous, but that's true. People are teaching the Bible that aren't reading it. And then the other reason is people do know their Bibles and their lives still don't match up. You got people that intellectually know what God's telling them to do, but they're not living it out. And this is, I think, the main reason why James is writing the book of James is because he's tired of people talking about what it means to be a Christian, but they're not putting their faith to work. They're not putting their faith to action. That's why James 1.22 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So I believe that if we would simply spend time in God's word, I mean, it's simple, just spend time daily in God's word and live lives consistent with what we read, then everyone who do these two things should be teachers at some level. God has called us all to first live for him and then to teach others about him. So the logic is very simple. If you teach the Bible and your life matches what you say, then you are a good teacher leading people to God. If you teach the Bible and your life does not match what you say, then you are a bad teacher, confusing people and leading them away from God. So the first reason I believe that God has given us mouths is so that we can teach others about God. But there's a caveat that James is saying, but if you're going to teach, your life better match up what you're teaching. The second reason God made a mouth and uh, gave one to you is to lead you in the right direction. Nothing else, uh, I don't think anybody can really argue with this, has destroyed marriages, ruined friendships, and launched even wars like the tongue. The right words can open up doors for the next moment, the next friendship, and the next business transaction. These opportunities can be opened up depending on what you say and how you say it. The right words can bring healing, like instant healing and instant reconciliation and restoration to relationships. But the wrong words can shut down conversations, can kill relationships, and end potential opportunities that you may have that would otherwise be good opportunities. For instance, just think about this. Where does the conversation end up when you're engaging in a conversation with someone? Where does it end up when you or they all of a sudden become rude? Where does the conversation go when someone in the conversation starts criticizing the other? Or someone gets angry? Or someone starts cursing someone? And it could be bad words, but it all could just be putting someone down instead of lifting them up or slander or gossip. Versus where does the conversation end up when you or they are kind? In the middle of the conversation, there's a compliment. Or in the conversation, be 
quick to hear but slow, I mean, yeah, quick to hear but slow to speak. There's just patience that is demonstrated in the conversation. Or that there are some words of encouragement that are shared. And you think about this, when you think about the, the tongue was given to you to lead you in the right direction, into good opportunities that glorify God and bless others and are even good for you, how motivating is it to think that if I just say the right words in the right way at the right time, all will go well. And so you look at this text in verses 3 through 5, just as a bit with a horse and a rudder with a ship, the tongue, as guided by the rider and the pilot, can lead you into good or bad opportunities. What you say in your conversation with others is crucial to what happens next in your next relationship, in the next possibility, or the next opportunity that's before you. So your tongue was given to you to lead you in the right direction. The number three, the reason God made mouths and gave one to you is so that you can give praise to God. The tongue is constantly, constantly being used on a mission from hell to spread evil. Just look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is not the reason why God made the tongue, but this is the reason why, or this is what Satan does with the tongue is that it's being used on mission from hell to spread evil while it ought to be used to spread God's glory. So you can spread his glory by simply praising him wherever you or your words go. For instance, here's some ways in which you can spread God's glory with your tongue. And I was thinking about this even riding to church here this morning. Uh, how that we have an opportunity to spread God's glory wherever we go like this. Uh, when you're riding in your car by yourself, you can say, God, I just want to spread your glory up and down the interstate. In the car, when you were singing songs to God, so you got the worship music cranked up and you're just traveling, you're like, it's just me and God and I'm praising him. Well, you're spreading his glory at 70 miles an hour, traveling down the interstate, just spreading his glory wherever you go. And I know that might be a silly example, but I think, man, you cover a lot of ground. You know, if you're in the car listening to God's worship, just spreading God's glory wherever you go. But also in the conversations you have with people from this one to the next, from this one to the next, speaking highly of God and giving him credit and giving him praise, you're using his tongue to give praise to God and at the same time a witness to others. You can spread God's glory when you're speaking with someone, not only Christians, but non-Christians as well, as you share what God did in your life uh, today or even yesterday. And then I like to think about praising God is also like not just spreading his glory, but also adding to his glory. You can add to his glory when you get up in the morning. Uh, my grow group and I are reading a book right now, and I've never heard this term before, but I thought it was really cool. It's saying do a seven-up exercise when you, when you get up in the morning. It's just a seven-up exercise. And so what you do is when you wake up, spend the first seven minutes in prayer, and then you can get up. Now, for some of us, you might need a cup of coffee. And I was struggling a little bit to do it this morning, but I was able to do it. I was laid in bed for about seven minutes, and I just thanked God, and I prayed, 
and then I was able to get up. But that's just a way in which in the morning you can actually just add to his glory. Now, in one sense, God is glorious regardless of whether or not you're speaking into his glory or not. I get that. But you get to be, instead of the rocks crying out, you get to be a person made in God's image, adding to his glory in that moment. And you can also add to his glory throughout the day. You can actually have an actual verbal conversation with God where you can say, God, in this moment, I'm not really doing anything, so I just want to add to your glory. Lord Jesus, you are holy, you are good, you are loving, and I just want to add to your glory by thanking you for this and that. I mean, just think about the significance of your day when you think, ah, oh, what did I do yesterday? Was the day, did I really accomplish anything? I mean, how monumental and incredible it is just to think of your day and think, you know what, I might not have got a lot done, but I spent that time in prayer to God, and I just spent some time adding to his glory, and I spent some time spreading his glory. I mean, do you think God is looking at you and saying you had a worthless day? No, he's looking at you, and he's saying, you're doing exactly what I created you to do. You're using your tongue exactly how I created it and why I gave it to you. It's the most significant thing you can do all day is to spend time and praise to his God, to praise to God, spreading his glory and adding to his fame. So the fourth reason that God made the tongue and gave one to you is to build others up. So many times our words put others down and can radically alter, alter their lives for the worse. We know this to be true, whether you've been someone that's done that or particularly if you've been someone that has experienced that. The saying that we're all very familiar with, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is clearly a lie because we all know all too well that words really do hurt. So if you've been negatively spoken to in such a way, either by the words or the tone, that they have deeply wounded you, you may have tried, this may have happened to you, and you tried to ignore it, but uh, so often than not, and I know that you've, this has happened to you, you've probably experienced this, that the pain uh, 5, 10, 20, or even 50 years later sometimes can still be there. You can see the person, you can hear the person that spoke negatively towards you and about you, and it's just a wound that's so hard to heal. The gospel can heal that. Jesus, that's why Jesus came to die, to heal that. But sometimes those circumstances and the consequences of those actions still come back in our memories and they still hurt. So how can you keep from being that person to someone else? How can you keep from being the person that instead of uh, tearing others down, that actually build others up? God has called us to continually build others up by actually giving grace to those who hear. I know it's maybe a strange concept that actually I can give grace to those who hear. I mean, we're talking about biblical, God-given grace. Doesn't that just come from God? It does, but God uses us as his agents to spread not only his glory, but also his grace. He has brought you to himself, yes, for yourself, but he's also brought you to himself for others as well. And so God is committed to use you to give grace to others who hear the words that come out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's incredible to think that we actually have that privilege and opportunity and even power. But sometimes, and this is the problem, our self-absorption, our focus on ourselves, causes us not to care about others, and as a result, 
We work to put them down in order to feel better about ourselves. I mean, I've done this, right? At least I've thought this, and sometimes I think I've said this, like to make some kind of comment or think some kind of thought about someone else so I can feel better about myself. That's not what called, God has called us to do. He's called us to build others up, and that should be our primary intent. So how do you keep from putting others down, either through your words or your silence? How does this practically work? Well, verse 9 says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and if with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We bless, we praise God, but we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I believe that what you say comes from what you think, and what you think comes from how you see. We'll say that again. I believe that what you and I say comes from what we think, and what we think comes from how we see. So therefore, if we're going to be someone that builds people up instead of tearing them down, we've got to see differently. We've got to see people as Christ sees people. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul is talking about the change that happens within us, and I think it's in verse 16. He says that we no longer uh, see people the way that uh, we no longer see Christ as we once did, that we see him differently. And now not only do we see him differently when we become Christians, but we're called to see people differently as well. C.S. Lewis is an author. He's now in heaven. He spoke of this in a, 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 a volume of sermons that were put together in a book called The Weight of Glory. And one of the things he says in uh, one of his sermons is this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And what he means by that is that we're made in the likeness of God, and one day we will have glorified bodies, that we will be living uh, for eternity, those who trust Christ with glorified bodies. And those who don't will be living in hell with not glorified bodies, but they will be eternal beings as well. But he says it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. So you see people now with flesh and, blood, flesh, flesh and bones as you see them now, but one day uh, they're going to be appearing at a whole nother level that we need to go ahead and recognize this is where we're all headed. All day long we are all in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the all and circumstances proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. And I'm going to keep reading, but I think that line right here, there are no ordinary people, really speaks to me. Because when I'm interfacing with someone, I need to recognize that I'm interfacing with someone that will live on for eternity, that will one day have a glorified body, 
and be higher than even the angels in the heavens, and that this is no ordinary person that I'm interacting with right now. You have never, C.S. Lewis writes or preaches, talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with and work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously, no flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be real and costly love. So if you constantly view, if I constantly view people as splendid beings made in God's image, I believe that if I have that mindset, and if you have that mindset, we will work very hard to build others up rather than tear them down. Because we'll realize that in this moment, we're not in the presence of a mere ordinary person. So the conclusion that I have, uh, I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning with why God made the tongue and gave one to you are this. I got several things I just want to share and then we'll be done. The first is the words you speak are your imprint on the world. The words you and I speak are our imprint on the world. The 16,000 words you speak a day determine how people perceive you and if you are a Christian, how they perceive God. Your words determine what kind of impact, good or evil, you will have on those around you. Second thing is that God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. He hates it when people's doctrine does not line up with their practice. What they say they believe does not line up with what they do. We see this in verse 1 with James saying that not everyone should be teachers. And then we see this in verse 10 with him saying, From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Hypocrisy ruins a profession's Christian's witness, and it might even reveal that that person's not even a Christian. The third thing I want to end with is that Jesus took your place. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Man, that's a sobering thought. Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this, and on the day of judgment, we'll all give an account for every careless word we speak. I know that verse 1 says that teachers in James 3 will be judged more strictly, uh, but everyone's going to be judged on the day of judgment for every careless word spoken. However, and this is the glorious news about the day of judgment, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you actually swap life records with him and you will not be condemned. I think it's going to be a sobering moment on judgment day. I think that my life's going to flash before my eyes. I think I'm going to see the ways in which I failed God. And in one moment, I'm going to be singing praise and thanksgiving to him because all the ways. I feel like this opportunity to see all the ways in which I failed him is just an opportunity to, to worship him more than I've ever worshiped him in my life because I'm going to realize in that moment that God's grace covers all of my sins. And this is the good news that Jesus never said one word that contradicted his character. And he died in your place on the cross. So his perfect record of never sinning, including saying, never saying a careless or condemning word, went to you and your imperfect, blemished, and filthy record went to him. And so when we get to heaven for those who trust in Christ... 
All our sins will be covered. And so Jesus took your place. And the last thing I want to share with you is God can do it. God can do it. If you are discouraged that James writes in verse 8 that no human being can tame the tongue, don't be discouraged. Yes, it's sobering that the tongue is a restless evil that no human being can tame, but God can tame it. God can tame the tongue. If you look at verses 3 through 4, if you aren't a Christian, then you are the rider who is unsuccessfully trying to control the horse's mouth and the direction that he goes. If you're not a Christian, then you're the rider. And you are also the pilot who is failing at controlling the rudder. But if you are a Christian, then God lives in you. God is now the rider on the horse who controls the bit, and God is the pilot in the ship who's controlling the rudder. So if you're discouraged this morning, it's like, man, I want to live for God in every area of my life, including the words that I say, but I can't do it. It may be that you're not a Christian, and this morning, you need to come to Christ, and you need to say, Christ, I have, Jesus, Lord Jesus, I have failed you in all the things that I have done and the things that I've said, and I want to take your perfect record and have it applied to my account so that I can receive forgiveness of sins now and forever, and so that you would be my Lord and Savior. So maybe that's the first step. And then God comes and lives in you, and he becomes the rider. He becomes the pilot who can give you direction and give you power and can control your tongue. And it could, or it could be that you're a Christian, and you're just like, man, I've been doing this in my own flesh. I didn't realize that this is a place in which I need to tap into the Holy Spirit and let him control even the words I say. Well, for you, it's good news. I'm telling you, that's exactly what you need to be doing, is you need to tap into the Holy Spirit and his power within you so that he can start living through you in your actions and your words. So God made the tongue to be a powerful tool for good and not evil. And it's 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, just for this glorious message. First of all, of letting myself see how that I fall short. And I say that's glorious because I know the good news of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you stepped in my place and that you have cleansed me from my sins and you have made my blemished record clean. And so, Lord, I pray for those in here this morning that have not accepted you as Lord and Savior, that that's exactly what they would do today, uh, that they would um, receive the forgiveness that you give and that they would walk in your grace. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that we would just continually surrender um, not only the things we do, but the words we say. And I pray that our words will be used to teach others about God and to uh, lead us in the right direction and to spend time spreading and adding to your glory and building others up. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.